Thanks for listening to the Faith Assembly podcast. If you're in the Orlando area, we hope you're able to join us for one of our services. Please check out faithassembly.org for more information or follow us on social media at faithORL. We hope this message will be an inspiration to help you find all that God has for your life. Enjoy the message. Foundations are important. They're not the most exciting part of a building project. I get it. But boy, they are important. And I can remember when here at this campus, when this building was being built, and I can remember the different highlights, and we'd come through and see walls going up when these concrete walls started to go up. And man, I remember being here with my video camera just watching this because it was so exciting to see the outside of the building take shape. I can remember walking through when we'd get into the framing of the walls on the inside, and you could start to see how... um, how large rooms were going to be or how, what the shape of rooms. And I, when the drywall went up, you could really start to picture. I can remember coming through, they said, oh, the, the floor, the carpet's coming in. And we come in. I remember taking pictures of, of different aspects. And the seats are coming. Just all these different moments. They were so exciting. People taking pictures and video of those moments. But I don't really remember anybody getting all that excited about the foundation. I mean, there was no parties being thrown when that foundation, it was, it's, it's not the most exciting part. It's, it, look at it, it happened at night. No one was even here. Uh, but there they are laying the foundation of this building. It's not exciting, but how many know that without the foundation, we would be in trouble right now? Without the foundation, matter of fact, the, the, the second tallest building in the world is called the Shanghai Tower in China. And when they started construction on it in 2008, then you go two years later, and two years later they finished, not the construction on the building, no, two years later they finished the foundation. The building itself ended up being 2,000 feet in the air, but the foundation goes 300 feet down into the ground with nearly a thousand footers that go deep into the ground, a 20-foot uh, pad of concrete way down at the bottom of that. Um, and can you imagine being the foreman on that job site when they said people started to hear about the world's largest building being built? It's the second largest now, but it was going to be the largest at the time. Can you imagine people coming through and going, uh, you know, a year later, 18 months later, coming through to see the progress of the building? And they walk up and they're like, I don't see any progress at all. Like I thought there was going to be a building going up. Oh, we're working on it. Sure you are. You know why? Because it was all happening below the ground. And it's, and it's not that exciting. But if you're going to build a skyscraper like that, if you're going to go that high, then you better go deep before you plan on going high. Here's the thing. Some of y'all are already ahead of me. We as a church, if we want to go somewhere, if we want to make an impact, if we, if we want to do something great for God, it will all depend. We, how high we go will depend on how deep we're willing to go in our foundation, how much we understand what the Word of God is saying about us, what the Word of God is saying about who Jesus is. Well, as deep as we go there, and that's why foundations are so important. Some of us grew up, grew up singing a song about Matthew chapter 7, and we won't read Matthew chapter 7, but some of y'all remember the song, the wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man, anybody remember that one? And the rains came tumbling. All right, yeah. So that song is based out of Matthew 7, and that chapter just talks about how important foundations are. And so we've been kind of on that the last couple of weeks, some real foundational doctrines of the church. This week we're going to talk about two um, 
ordinances of the church that were established really by Jesus. And these two ordinances, and that word ordinance is, uh, it means this, it's an authoritative order or decree. You can kind of see that word order in the word ordinance. An authoritative order or decree. And there was a, an order and decree put in place for us, for the church, two ordinances that we still observe and are going to observe literally today. And we have observed. Uh, one of which is water baptism established by Jesus as an ordinance of the church and the Lord's Supper. As an ordinance established uh, by Jesus Christ for the church. Which brings me to the title of this message under this collection of messages called Foundational. Today's message is entitled this, The Tank and the Table. The Tank and the Table. And uh, let's read in Exodus chapter 12. We're going to read in Exodus chapter 12, and then we'll spend most of our time in 1 Corinthians 11. So Old Testament, Exodus chapter 12, and then we'll be in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. If you've got your word ready, somebody say amen. Here's what Exodus chapter 12 says. Hear what the word says. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day, we're going to read verses 3, 5 through 8, and 13 and 14. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of the month, each man is to take a lamb for his family. Remember that. Take a lamb for his family, each uh, one for each household. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect. Verse 6 says, take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them. So this perfect lamb that we've taken care of now we have to slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night they are to eat the meal roasted over fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are and God says, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Now look at this. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. That's important. Remember that. No destructive plague will strike you when I, will touch you when I strike Egypt. Verse 14. This is a day you are to commemorate for generations to come. What day? This Passover. Um, how do we commemorate it? With this Passover meal. God says, this is going to, I want you to do this for generations to come. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, this Passover festival. And then he says, it's a lasting ordinance. The New Living Translation says it this way, that this law is for all time. Well, we're still in time. And here God says, this Passover moment, this Passover celebration meal he says, this is a lasting ordinance. I want you to celebrate for all time. Now, what are we supposed to do with that? Because uh, they're, 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 this is a lasting thing, so it, it has some implication on us today. So what are we supposed to do with that, that festival of, of a Passover that's still supposed to be going on? We'll get to that at the very, very end of the message. We'll answer that question. But let's spend some time in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, as we read these, some of these words will sound familiar to some of you because you've been around here or you've been in church long enough to hear some of these verses read 
at moments of communion. And this is Paul talking, and he's writing to a church in Corinth, and he's giving them some instruction about uh, the Lord's Supper. And he's giving them some correction about the Lord's Supper. And Paul begins in verse 23 by saying, I receive from the Lord that which I also pass on to you. Now he's getting ready to give an account of the Last Supper that Jesus had with his disciples. Now Paul was not there, um, but Paul had gotten a, a report of what had happened there, probably a couple different ways. Probably by Mark, who was there, and Mark was a traveling partner with Paul, and so Mark, no doubt, had told Paul uh, a lot of the details of this because Paul's account and Mark's account are very, very similar. But also, it would have seemed that God himself, uh, that Jesus gave uh, Paul some information about this because he begins by saying, I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. Now here we go. He says, the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way after supper, he took the cup and he said, this, is, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. We'll hit pause right there in 1 Corinthians 11, and we'll continue down that verses in just a moment. But we'll hit pause right there to see that the first instruction and the first opportunity we have during the Lord's Supper is first to look back. To look back. If you notice, Jesus said, whenever you do this, and there's no instruction in Scripture exactly how often to do it, um, the early church did it uh, at least probably weekly, but there's no uh, instruction here as to how often to do it, but Jesus says, when you do it, I want you to look back. When you do it, I want, to, I want you to remember me. When you take that bread, do it in remembrance, having remembered what my broken body was. Do this in remembrance of me. When you take that cup, remember my shed blood. It's somewhat interesting that Jesus encourages us to remember his death. This probably goes against our, our normal human nature. Uh, when we lose someone, a family member, a friend, a lot of times this kind of uh, verbiage starts to be heard. People start to say, let's remember them. Let's remember the good times. Let's remember them when they were healthy. Let's remember them before this. Let's not remember, you know, this version, but let's remember uh, back, you know, whatever. And we, 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 as probably as humans, we're not often maybe automatically geared to thinking about the death. We, we kind of don't want to think about that, and we want to think about the life. But Jesus says, no, I want you to remember my death. He doesn't say, no, I want you to remember my life, and there's a reason. Because as amazing as the life of Jesus was, it was not the life of Jesus that saves us. As amazing as his miracles, marvelous miracles, but his miracles didn't save us. As amazing as his teaching was and is, and, and it still is, right? It was, it was still life lessons to be, to be learned and applied to our life. As amazing as his teaching was, it still didn't save us. Life of love didn't save us. Teaching didn't save us. Miracles didn't save us. You know what saves us? His death. It was his death on that cross, that substitutionary death that he dies in our place. That's what saves us. That's why Jesus says, in this moment, I want you to look back and remember not my life, not my miracles. I mean, those are great, not my teachings. Yes, yes, live by those. But in this moment, 
I want you to think back to my death. And the reason why is because his death um, was such a solution to a, uh, our ongoing problem of sin. Um, in the Old Testament, we read about it, right, that they would take animals and, and, and sacrifice animals and slaughter animals and the blood of those animals, they couldn't take away the sin, they could only cover the sin. This week I started thinking about it this way again because I have this uh, uh, issue at my house that we actually got fixed this week and I talked about this a couple of years ago um, but uh, there's a corner, uh, there's a column on the front of my house and the corner had a, a metal like corner flashing on it that was rusting away. And a couple years ago, we were painting our house and that part was rotting and decaying and that rust was going on. And I called a couple um, different uh, stucco people to, to see if they could come fix it. Some were, it was just, just a, a lot of money. And then the ones that were affordable couldn't come out. And, and so I did something back then that I was not a, a very proud of when I was doing it. But that rust and decay was right there. And instead of fixing it, instead of taking it away and, and, and restoring it the way it should be, I just got a roller and I just painted right over the rust. I was just out there just pretending like, look at this, it's all gonna be gone. It's just, I'm just covering it up. And I knew in my heart that I was gonna have to deal with that at some point. I knew in my heart that that decay was not going anywhere. It was just gonna continue to get worse. But there I am just covering it up, just passing it on. And that's kind of how the Old Testament was. They would, they would sacrifice these animals and the blood of those animals couldn't really deal with the sin, couldn't really take away, the, it could only cover up the sin. As a matter of fact, Hebrews says that when they were, they were shedding the blood of those animals, the Hebrews says those sacrifices were just an annual reminder of sin. It just, that, that sacrifice just made me think of my sin, it made me remember my sin. Jesus says, now when you take this cup, it's not your own sin that you have to be focused on. He said, I want you to look back and realize that my blood doesn't just cover your sin, mm, but my blood takes away sin. My blood deals with the decay and the rust eating away at your life. That's why it was so different for his, his, his death and his resurrection. And that's part of what we look back and remember in this moment. And it's also the link between the Lord's table and the baptismal tank is, is this same thing because when someone gets baptized in water, as we saw many people do in this very service, when someone gets baptized in water, um, they're going down into the water. And maybe some have never even realized exactly what the symbolism is. But what it is is they're going down in the water and that water represents a grave. So in the moment of communion, we are remembering our death, we're remembering his death, his resurrection. In the moment of water baptism, we're remembering and declaring and proclaiming our death. It's no longer I that lives, no, I died to myself. And not just our death though, it doesn't stop there. If it stopped there, we would just be holding people down under the water and our baptism numbers would plummet and lawsuits would skyrocket. It would be a whole deal, right? If we were just holding them under, no, you have to die, you have to die. That's not what it is. It's our death, but also amazingly, our resurrection. We come up a new person in Christ and that's what we're declaring publicly that has happened in our life. And so this baptism moment our death, our resurrection, and the Lord's table, his death, his resurrection. And with our understanding of new life, then we know not only do we look 
uh, backwards, but we also look ahead. And Paul gives us that instruction as well. As part of the Lord's Supper, we look back, but we also look ahead. Look at verse 26. He says, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death, look at this, until he comes. And there's Paul taking our, our attention away from the past and now going until he comes, until he comes back. There's something that we need to be looking forward to as Christians. There's something we need to be looking forward to. Uh, we have fellowship with God now, but it's nothing compared to the fellowship with, with God that we're gonna have one day. Um, the Old Testament was focused on the written word. The New Testament's focus is the living word, Jesus Christ. That becomes our focus, and the more we get close to God, the more we become like God. And so communion is a time not to focus necessarily on the past, but also to focus ahead. It's not just to focus on this last supper. Um, let me hit pause for a second and say this. Some of you have done this before. Anybody ever sat at a meal Maybe breakfast, maybe lunch. You're sitting there, you just started eating, and then before you think about it, you say this. I'm sitting there eating lunch, just barely starting to eat lunch, and now I say this. Um, so what are we gonna do for dinner? Has anyone ever done that before? I've done that before, and it like, you know, and I mean, I've started that conversation, and then it hits me like, why am I talking about dinner? I'm not even, I just barely started here with lunch. How can we be talking about dinner? Maybe we should like finish lunch, let the food settle, maybe start to feel a little bit of hunger, and then start thinking about dinner. But no, there's just some, sometimes we start thinking about, well, what are we gonna do? This meal's here, but this one, what are we gonna do for breakfast tomorrow? We start focusing on the next meal. Well, Paul, what he's kind of saying is, when you're here at the Last Supper, he said, I don't want you just to think about the Last Supper. He said, I want you to think about the next supper too. He said, I want you to think about you proclaiming this until he comes. Paul is referencing the next supper. The next supper is talked about in Revelation chapter 19. So exciting, verses six through nine. Let me, let me read it to you. It says, then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like a roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder. This is what this multitude sounded like, uh, rushing waters and thunder and these, these, this multitude of people shouting, hallelujah. For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Verse 7, let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the Lamb and his bride has, sorry, the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Look at this, fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. And verse 9 says, then the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. That's the supper we're looking forward to. And look at how that bride has made herself ready. I was at a wedding on Monday. And it's always a fun moment in the wedding when the bride first comes out. And everybody stands right when the bride comes out and usually everybody turns and looks at the bride and watches her walk down the aisle. I, have, I don't know what it is, but most of the time I don't turn and look at the bride. You know what? Most of the time I turn and look at the groom. 
And I watch as the groom is receiving his bride there on that day, and there she's made herself ready and presentable as she best she can for her groom. And I can't help but think about what it's going to be like for Jesus on that day when we have made ourselves ready. That's what we're looking forward to. That's what we're living life with a direction like, I wanna make myself ready to know him in that way. I wanna be invited and blessed are those who have made it to that wedding supper of the Lamb. It means I'm gonna live a life that gets me there focused on that. So not only do we look back, not only do we look ahead, but also communion is a time to look within. And sometimes, to be honest, this might get missed for some. Verse 27 in this same chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians, Paul again is giving this church instruction and correction. And he says, so then, Whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. That's serious. Like he's saying there's a way that we can partake and do this that we will that'll it'll actually make us guilty. Here we are doing a religious ritual and it can be working against us. If we don't do it in a worthy manner, he says, we'll be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Paul didn't say that um, anyone who does this and they're not worthy. He doesn't say you, you make sure you're worthy of this moment. And I think the reason why Paul doesn't say it that way is because Paul knows none of us can ever be worthy of this moment in and of ourselves. There's nothing I can do to clean up my own life. There's nothing I can do to, to actually deal with the decay and, and the problem of sin in and of myself. I'll never be worthy for this kind of fellowship with Jesus. He doesn't say that you have to be worthy. He says you need to do it in a worthy manner. So what does he mean to observe communion at the Lord's table in a, in a worthy manner? Here's what that means. Number one, it means that we need to be examining ourselves. This looking within would involve us examining ourselves. Uh, I, I have found this, that we're all guilty of as Christians. Um, sometimes we get really good, not so much at examining ourselves, we get good at examining everybody else's sins. We become great spiritual detectives. And we start to just look around and go, well, look at, yeah, look at how they live and look at what they're doing. Some of you get on social media and the, you just find yourself sitting there, look at that, I, I figured they'd go somewhere like that, look at these people. All right, look at what she's wearing, I figured she'd wear something like that. And we're just, we become spiritual police and we just examine everyone else's flaws, everyone else's mistakes. Here's the problem, it seems like the better I get at examining everyone else's the sins, the worse I get at examining my own. And that's why Paul says, you know what, at a moment like this, you know what you need to do? You need to examine your own heart. Second, what would it be to be this, to do this in a, in a worthy manner? It would be to judge my own sin. And I judge my sin so that God doesn't have to. So much better for me to judge my own sin and so that God doesn't have to. In the, in the prior chapter, Paul is giving even more instruction and correction about this. In chapter 10, and in chapter 10 he says, you can't take the cup of, you can't drink the cup of the Lord and drink the cup of demons. It doesn't work like that. He said, you, you, you can't sit at the Lord's table 
and sit at the table of demons. It doesn't work like that. And he's addressing some people who would roll up into church maybe on Sunday ready to, to, uh, to partake at the Lord's table, but they'd have one foot in the church and one foot in the world. And there they are saying, well, let's, yeah, let's do this. And Paul's saying it doesn't work like that. No, you're, you're making your life much more complicated. You're opening the door to problems that you don't need to have because you're not judging what's going on in your, your heart. You're not judging the motivation of your heart. You're not judging your actions. You're not judging your words. You're not judging your thoughts. So judge yourself, examine yourself, and then the third, to, to do this in a worthy manner would mean this, that, that I would have a moment of confession. That I would say, God, God, forgive me because I know that I am, I need forgiveness. As I have examined my heart and judged the sin in my life, I know that I need a moment that, 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 that I'm a sinful person. Um, there's a movie, of course, that was out years and years ago that many of you are familiar with. It was called The Passion of the Christ. Mel Gibson produced and directed the movie. Um, most of you have seen at least clips of it because we've shown a lot of clips of it through the years here in different services. But there's a scene in that movie I want to talk about. I was going to show it, but I uh, just didn't want it to take away from, uh, from the moment. But in that scene, it's the, it's the scene when Jesus is being crucified. And in that scene, they throw his body down onto that cross and they stretch his arms out on that cross. And there's a shot um, of the camera first going into, uh, like from there, and it shows his hand and it shows Jesus as he turns and looks as they take the nail and set it in place there at his wrist and his hand. And then the camera moves to uh, seeing that nail being driven and you see the hands of a, of a soldier as he sets that nail in place and begins to drive with force this nail through uh, the flesh of Jesus and then through the wood of that cross until the nail comes out the other side of the cross and blood from his hand starts to flow out the back side of the cross. And I don't know if you remember seeing that that, 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 that scene, but it is a graphic scene. It illustrates a lot. But one thing you never see in that scene is you never see the face of the soldier driving that nail with such force through the wrist and hand of Jesus. You never see, you never get to look into his eyes and, and just see what is, what is he thinking. You never get to try to figure out his heart by looking at his facial expression. What's he thinking in this moment? You never get to see him. And so most people don't know who played that part because you never saw his face, you only saw his hands. But you might find it interesting as to who played that part in the movie. That soldier was played by Mel Gibson himself, the producer and director of the movie. And he did it to illustrate something. He did it because at least there was an understanding of this in his life. He understood that it wasn't the Romans who ultimately crucified Jesus, that it wasn't the religious Pharisees that are to blame. He understood something. He understood this, that it was my sin. That's what he was saying. By playing that part, he was saying it was my sin that put him there. It was your sin, that it was our sin. It was all of us. That's what he's saying in that part, and it was. Which is why a moment of examination is so important. I mean, think about it. Jesus is at the table offering the body, his body, breaking the bread, not cutting it, not slicing it, but breaking it to illustrate 
his broken body and he's offering it to this, those there at the table, obviously to us as well, but in that moment to those at the table and all the while there's a traitor at the table. He is handing the bread and the cup. He's, he's handing the benefits of his broken body and his shed blood even to somebody who's betraying him. He knows the pain, the torture, the injury that's coming because of the actions of one of the people at the table, and yet he still offers it to them. And we can go, wow, I can't believe he did that. But here's the thing. He offered it to us too. And we've betrayed him as well. Matter of fact, the Bible says this, that while we were yet sinners, look, I know y'all look good now and you look like you got it all together, but here's the truth. While we were yet sinners, he died for us. That's why it's important that we look in. As a matter of fact, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna, I, got, I got to finish this message in just a moment. I'm not done with the message, but can I hit pause on this message and ask you just to close your eyes all over this room. I just feel like we need to look within right now. Uh, there at our campuses at Redbug, Michigan Street, would you just close your eyes right now? There in the atrium, would you close your eyes? Can we have a moment of introspection? Can we just have a moment where we look in and go, maybe I need to have a moment of confession because if I truly examine my heart today, before we would step into the Lord's table, before we'd move into that sacred moment, as I examine my own heart, I know there's some issues. As I begin to judge my life, my actions, I know there are some things that I need to confess and make right before God, and I want you to do that right now. If you're here in any of our campuses and you just say, I, I need to confess some things before God, God's showing me right now, I need to do that. If that's you, come on, nobody's looking around. If that's you, just slip up your hand, just so I can pray for you. If that's you, yes, yes, yes. I need to make some confession today. Yes, yes, I need to get right with God. Anybody else there at our campuses, I need to get right with God. This is, a, this is an incredible moment right now. Anybody else? Come on, let's do that. I want you to pray and make things right as I pray for you. Holy Spirit, I thank you for your conviction. It's, it's just a, another manifestation of your love, that you love us so much that you don't leave us where we are, that while we were sinners, you died for us, that you offer this, this communion to us, even though maybe we're not worthy, but God, we wanna do it in a worthy manner. And so I ask you to forgive us and to cleanse us, make us right before you right now. I pray, God, that your mercy would flow. We would be made new in, in you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you for doing that. Again, we're going we're gonna to end in just a moment, but let me just say the final perspective that we would make that Paul kind of instructs us during this Lord's Supper. We, we look back, we look ahead, we look within, and we also look around. I love this part that we would look around during the Lord's Supper. This is how he says it in verse 33. He says, so then my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I'll give you further instruction. But when you eat, I want you to all eat together. 
he's given uh, some instruction in, in all of this because of the importance of eating together and what it represents. Uh, eating together was a part of the church from its very beginning in the New Testament church. They would eat together regularly. At the church at Corinth, they called it the, the agape feast, the love feast. And so they would eat together often, uh, at least weekly. And then as part of the meal, they would partake in the Lord's Supper. But Paul has to give them some correction because he's saying, when you gather in this, you're actually doing more harm than good. In verse 17 and 18, same chapter, he says, in the following directives, I have no praise for you. Your meetings are doing more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. You know what Paul's saying? He's saying that this moment is not a moment of division. No, this is a moment of unity. This is a moment of, of coming together. That's what, that's what makes a meal so sacred and so important. Have you ever been to one of these restaurants that, that sit you down so close to other people sitting down and you get there and they're halfway done with their meal and you're trying to slide through and like not touch their table and sit down you feel like you should introduce yourself to them because you're sitting so close to them and it just kind of feels awkward in that moment. And the reason why it kind of feels awkward is because there's something special about eating a meal together. There's something intimate about it. And the same is true with this. Look, I love it that we are a diverse people here at Faith Assembly. And we are so, so diverse. And you can look at it in all kinds of different angles. We are diverse ethnically. We're diverse racially. We're diverse economically. We're diverse in our pursuits. We're diverse in our professions. I mean, we're diverse in every way you could possibly be diverse. But what I love about a moment like this, we're saying, you could look at our differences if you want to, but we are focused on the fact that we are one in Christ. That that's really what's important around here. And that will take the precedent over every one of our differences. When we have a moment of communion like this, we are saying this. We understand we have a whole lot more to agree upon than we have to disagree upon because we are one in Christ. And that's also part of what this represents is a moment of looking around. Well, I, I started out talking about the book of Exodus. And this Last Supper that we read about in all the Gospels that Paul's talking about here in 1 Corinthians 11, the painting of the Last Supper that we've all seen, this Last Supper happens at a unique spot on the calendar. It might seem like it was just random. It might seem like Judas is the one that initiated the timing of all this. It may seem like the Pharisees are the one that initiated the timing of when Jesus was going to be led to the cross. Uh, it was neither of that. Listen, God's in control. You may think other things are in control. Something might happen in your life. You may go, I don't know who's in charge of this. Listen, God's in charge and uh, his timing is still perfect. So this last supper happens at a unique spot on the calendar. It happens during the Passover. Remember that festival that was going to be continued forever. It was never ending ordinance that God said, I want you to have this moment of Passover. Well, look in Mark chapter 14, as, as he's talking about this last supper, on the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? And this was it. He said, well, let's, let's do it this way. Let's do it here. It'll be prepared. And so then the Last Supper 
they were having the Passover meal. But there's no mention in any of the four Gospels or in Paul's writings, there's no mention of the lamb being on the table at the Passover meal. Could it be it's no mention of the lamb being on the table because the lamb was at the table? There was Jesus saying, it's my broken body, it's my shed blood. When John the Baptist first saw Jesus, he blurted out almost uncontrollably, there's the Lamb of God who takes away, not covers, but takes away the sins of the world. And so Jesus is that Lamb. And so this ordinance that is supposed to continue forever, and we can read and go, well, I don't know if we have a Passover meal. We do have a Passover meal. It's called the Lord's table. It's called communion. We are still recognizing what the shed blood, do you remember what? God said to his people. He said, when you apply that blood, no destructive plague will touch you. When you apply that blood to the doorpost of your life, no plague, nothing will harm you. Listen, when we take the cup that represents the blood of Jesus, it's like we're applying that blood to our house all over again, to our home, to our family. No destructive plague, no, no sickness, no disease, no depression, no famine, no attack of the enemy is going to have any root in my life because I am covered by the blood. That junk can just pass over me because of what Jesus did in my life. That's what we're doing when we partake the Lord's Supper. All right, let's do it. Here's what I want you to do. Uh, our ushers are going to come, and if you've not yet got uh, a cup today, um, you're open and you're certainly invited to do this. We do ask you to be a believer because, again, there's a worthy manner in which to do this. And we've all had a moment already of making things right with God. But if you don't have one yet, I want you to take one. And we're going to do it a little bit different today. Um, in just a moment, I'm going to pray over the bread and the cup. And then I just want to give you your own time. What I want you to do after I pray, I would ask you to do this. I want you to look back and remember his death. I want you to look ahead. Not to just this last supper, but look ahead to the next supper and what heaven's going to be like and that my life is on a trajectory to there. I want you also to look within and one more time examine and judge the actions of your life and your heart. And I also want you to look around and understand what this represents. Boy, that we are one in Christ. And when you've done that on your own, then I want you just to partake in your own timing of the Lord's Supper and everything that it represents. Let me pray for you. Pastor John's gonna sing as we have that moment of reflection. Lord, I thank you for this bread that I hold in my hand and everything that it represents. I, I would ask God that somehow we could have as special of a moment as, as this element, as this ordinance demands. And so, God, thank you for your broken body and everything that it means to us. Thank you for the healing that it provides. I pray healing right now. Lord, I thank you for this cup and everything that it represents, your shed blood. We apply, we plead the blood of Jesus over our lives, over our homes, over our families, over our futures. No destructive plague will touch us. And we walk in that confidence. Lord, I pray you'd give us a great moment of reflection right now. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Let's have that moment. I hope you enjoyed listening to the Faith Assembly podcast. Thank you for joining us in pursuit of growing closer to Christ. Stay tuned for more messages released every week. God bless.